Our next storyteller. Next storyteller. Your next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Hello and welcome to The Narrators. This podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme. In honor of Mother's Day, here's a story from Denver comedian Allison Rose. This story was recorded live on October 17th, 2018 at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. The theme of the show was Guts. Hi. uh, When I was 19, I got pregnant. Uh, You know, like you do. (laughs) It's all the rage at that age. Super popular. Um, That's when I was popular, you know? And I made an appointment at an abortion clinic because that was my first decision. But after I made the appointment, I doubted that decision. And all I remember thinking is that I could and maybe I wanted to spend nine months of my life so that I could give a child to somebody else. So 21 days after my 20th birthday, I gave birth. And a week later, her adoptive family flew her home. And this isn't an anti-abortion, like, semi-Juno story. You know, there's no, like, creepy older guy who teaches me about music or anything like that, you know. Um, It's not that. Uh, A doctor told me when I was 19 that, like, for some women, getting pregnant is like falling off a log. Uh, And I am not very graceful, you know. Uh, So a year after my daughter was born... I got pregnant again, actually. Uh, And that time, I got an abortion in an IUD. (laughs) Hell yeah. Straight and sober, (laughs) nine years now. Um, And I just have to say, like, as someone who's done both, it is crazy how much your body knows is right. Like, how much you you feel it, how much you know what you need. Like, the first time after I got over the initial shock, I knew what to do, and I never doubted that choice. But I never doubted the second choice, either. Neither decision was easy but they were both mine and they were both right. And after both pregnancies, I thought I would spend my life telling my story, fighting for the right to choose. Both stories feel heavier than they should. Uh, People tense when I tell them about it, you know, and I think it's because they're not used to hearing those stories. Those are the kind we're supposed to keep quiet and carry alone. When I started stand-up, I chose to use my middle name as my last uh, for a couple of reasons. The main one being, I didn't want my daughter at five years old Googling her birth mother's name and watching a video of me telling a dead baby joke. <laughs> you know, not, that's super great. Uh, maybe when she's 10, you know, I'll put it out there. Um, but, you know, I thought of her when I decided to try to make people laugh with my story. And my daughter's not as present in me as she used to be. We both have the lives I barely ever knew I wanted for us. And it took time, down to the physical, phantom kicks and breasts with nowhere to go to get over her. For months, I'd grab the mug at my office that had mom printed all over it so that, like, something would say what everybody else was ready to forget about me, you know? Uh, But now, nine years later, a friend of mine will just say in passing, You know, I forget sometimes that Allison's a mom. That's pretty crazy, you know, and we move on, you know, Uh, that's it. And she and I move along separately across the country, but I think of her. I was going to do a natural birth, uh, but then contractions started, and I changed my fucking mind uh, (laughs) real fast, you know. uh, It took the nurse at least, like, 30 minutes to get the needle in the right spot as the contractions worsened, uh, And I've never felt pain like that. And I just breathed quietly through. And and then I made a noise when I gave birth, you know. Uh, I'd realized I was still quiet. And in the midst of everything, I wondered if that was right. You know, that wasn't what was in the movies. 
<laughs> so why was I so quiet, you know? Uh, I'd been quiet for her, but maybe now I got to be loud. So I stressed more than I had been and made a different sound, and the doctor gave me a funny look from down between my legs. <laughs> and then I went back to breathing, uh, and then eventually she was there. And she was something to hold, you know, screaming and whiter than normal, whiter than newborns you see in films or pictures, slowly losing layers to come into the air. I wrote it all down, that moment when she was placed right in my arms, even though I'd checked the box on the long list of procedures that said, hand to the adoptive mother first. It was me holding her as she wailed and blinked the opposite direction that our eyes go, open for the first time instead of fluttering shut. I remember her weight in my unpracticed cradling, resting on my deflated belly, all my inside, all my guts and strength from the past nine months resting out. I remember she screamed for so long there, constant and steady, like the heartbeat I'd been listening to for months. And I remember feeling tears stream, natural and soft on my face, that had been blocking them for so long, because I felt like I had to be strong for her, even though I barely knew what that meant. Her fingers wrap around one of mine, her new skin sticking, her paper bones holding tight. I remember my voice stuttering, shh, hey, hi, and the pressure of not knowing what to say, just shh, hey, hi, hey. But it wasn't enough. Words in my head repeating that I didn't know any other words. I'd forgotten every other word I'd ever known, but I had to find the right ones to say to her then, as if what I said to her right then meant everything, as if I would never get another chance and she would never be so new. Those were the last moments she was mine, and I was just as much hers. Her wails and my greetings blend into noise. It's the most anyone's ever given to me. It's all I asked of her. Scream, be. It's strange to me that I was quiet, even in birth, when the only way we know life is in the room is if it screams. When I went to the airport with her adoptive family, her father told me he'd, he'd watched my own family look to me for strength through all of this when it seemed like I was the one who ought to be looking for the help. I hated being called strong, though. It felt false. I felt like a liar. I didn't feel strong. All I'd done was what was needed to be, and I wasn't strong. I felt sad and alone and scared, and people kept saying I was strong, and I wasn't. And I've realized, every time anyone has ever called me strong, it's when I'm quiet. That's what we call strength. When you handle something alone, in silence, when you carry more than you should have to, and you don't scream about it. I don't know if it's partly being from the Midwest or being a girl, but there's this quiet praise for silence. And it feels like, especially as a woman, we're taught that as we grow, there's some things that are just going to happen to us. And dealing with them half the time seems to be shutting up about it, getting over it, being strong. I've had a lot of people tell me, too, that it seems brave to do stand-up, takes guts, you know? Uh, and it seems at first glance like there's dissonance between these two praises, these two ideals. But I think in a society that boasts quiet strength, sharing any part of yourself seems frightening to people. I have a joke about adoption, uh, and sometimes just like her story, it makes people tense up, people don't know what to do, they don't know if I'm okay. Uh, but I'm telling it, I'm joking about it, so it's okay for you to hear, and the only reason I'm okay is because I wasn't quiet. I wrote about it, I talked about it, I made it my own, and yeah, I made a joke about it, you know, because... <laughs> What else are you supposed to do with those deeply formative emotional moments, you know? Uh, I'm healthy, I'm good. <laughs> it's a joke, it's fine. But just because I'm okay doesn't mean I don't think of her. I think of her and I think of what to say the next time I get a chance. Maybe something besides hello, you know? And I know I'll never have any goddamn idea what to say, 
But maybe it's not as important to me to figure out what I'm going to say as to never be afraid to say it. She's a child, a young girl growing up, watching everything that's happening now. She's being told what she can say and what she has to carry alone inside her, what she just has to be strong about because that's the only choice we've given her. Maybe the best thing I can do is try to be some small part of making the world a place that's used to hearing stories, a place where she can tell her own, good and dark, not because she's a brave girl, but because the world recognizes it's nothing but voices and stories, and it wouldn't be complete without hers. That's mine. The Narrators was created by Andrew Orvidal and is produced by me, Ron Doyle, Sydney Crane, and Aaron Rollman. Support from Scott Carney, Karen Wachtel, Jesse Witten, and Robert Rutherford. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Bumport Theatre Company, Illegal Pete's, From the Photo, and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whalehawk, and we'd also like to thank Fee, who provided the outro music you're listening to right now. As always, a huge shout out to fans just like you who attend our live monthly shows, which take place every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theatre in Denver, Colorado. More information about our storytellers or the narrators, visit thenarrators.org and find, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.